for our sponsor, Dog Overboard Adamstown, the fun and healthy place for dogs. Pet Chat on your pet-friendly radio station, 2NURFM. Hello, hello. Yes, we're back. It's Sarah with you, and I am joined by Cheryl Shaw. Cheryl, welcome to the show, and Dr. Kimberly Earle. Hello. Now, before I go any further, Cheryl, we've got to give you a round of applause. You've had a very exciting week last week. Uh, you went to the Hunter Local Business Awards and uh, you actually won. Yes, that was wonderful. The pet care section, we were the winners. So oh. overall, the Newcastle Hunter Valley, all of the pet care, um, you know, the vets, the um, pet shops, all of the groomers, kennels and catteries, we were the winners. So we're very happy. Well done and well deserved. Now, what are we chatting about today? Okay, today we're going to be talking about the third most popular companion animal. Oh, third most popular companion. Mm. I guess the first would be a dog. That's right. Okay, let me think on it, okay? No worries. Okay, (laughs) and then what are we looking at today, Kimberly? We're going to talk about worms in our pets. Chris in Bolton Point, welcome to the show. You've got a question about dog surgery for Dr. Kimberly Earl. I sure have, Dale. Um, I've got a little Dijon Freeze poodle cross. Um, he's blowing out his back hip, mm-hmm. and I've taken him to the vets this morning. Um, I'm looking at roughly $1,500. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just wondering if there's some sort of assistance or something I can do to make the cost a little bit easier yeah okay um so it it depends i guess obviously on on what your situation is um my practice uses a company called um am i allowed to say the name of it yeah it's a a finance company called VetPay, um and they can help um with the cost of veterinary financing it depends a little bit whether your vet um deals with them many of the vet practices that i know do have some sort of an assistance plan um not not sort of within their own in in their own boundaries we don't we don't take accounts in my practice and i think it's it's not stock standard these days anymore but there are companies out there and available um you know who can help you um fund that surgery for your little friend so he gets his his um leg fixed i've already tried like with the rspca because of his age he's nearly Mm -hmm. 10 and because i didn't take a policy out when he was a pop yeah they've said no yeah so so that's different that's that's pet insurance and and yeah if he's 10 years old you're you're unfortunately out of luck for that but what you're looking for is you know probably a company like vet pay um there are a few other ones around i just can't think of any of them off the top of my head at the moment um that will you know help you out from a financing standpoint so you can help to pay the cost of that surgery off over over, um, yeah. you know, a, a 12-month period of time. So yeah. I would check in with your vet and see if they um, routinely use a company like that. We have a couple different ones that we, um, you know, will help clients with um, because our goal, obviously, is to try to make the little dog feel better. And if we can do that by, um, you know, helping you make it more affordable, then, then that's certainly, um, you know, in, in most vets um, interested to do that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, well, it's a hard thing. this morning at mm. Westlake Surgery. He wanted money mm. first and that was it. Okay yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's one of those things that they're hard. We we you know that's standard policy is we would get yeah. um, payment for our services on the time. But there are there are external companies. Um, if you have a look at the one that I've mentioned, you can go online and do a pre-approval with them and just check um, that that they've dealt with your um, veterinary surgery before. Um, would you happen to have the number, my dear? We'll uh, put you on hold, Chris, yeah, and okay. we'll get, get you, you some numbers. Sure. But look, um, you know, congratulations on on trying to look into that because I know it's easy to say you should have had pet insurance. I don't have it, and I. I don't think it was as common 14 years ago no, uh, as what it 
is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only say 14 because that's the age of my dog. <laughs> Your dog. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, when I guess I was a lot younger when I got Gizmo as well, probably didn't think about insurance. Oh, I right. didn't have health insurance. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, you do. You get you get into these situations where, you know, they're, they're your family. And yeah. when you're slapped with quite a hefty bill, you've got to go, wow, how, you know, I've got how to pay I can afford for that. Yeah. yeah. It is, it's a challenging thing. And, and unfortunately, these days, you know, um, it sounds like he's looking at an orthopedic surgery and that's always, um, it's, it's hard work. It's invasive. It's, it's technically challenging, um, requires a lot of um, supplies often and, um, and nurse time and vet time. So um, fortunately, there is some cost with that. Um, and yeah, I guess we would always encourage people to look at um, pet insurance when you've got a young, healthy dog, because it's, it's much easier to get them insured and have good coverage when they're young and healthy. But failing that, um, there are some, some companies available that can help with veterinary um, specific financing. And the ones that we deal with have been really good. Um, even, you know, we, we get lots of people who um, are low income and, and they still manage to get financing so they can help their pet do, you know, the best for them as much as possible. Just on that, Kimberly, mm-hmm. uh, with health insurance, so you said if you've got a young uh, pup, it's yep. much more affordable and easier to get health insurance. Yep. Is there an age limit where it's cut off and you just simply yeah. can't get it? So most most insurance companies will stop covering your pet at somewhere between seven and nine years of age if you haven't previously had um, the coverage in place. Um, some of them will stop coverage from nine years of age regardless, but usually if you've had the pet covered before they get into their senior years, then um, then they're usually going to be okay. What we tend to find is that you know lots of people, they get a new dog or they get get a new cat um, and they're young and they're healthy and they think I don't need any pet insurance coverage because this is a young healthy animal I I don't have to worry about sickness and disease for a long time but unfortunately um, in this day and age we see a lot of chronic diseases that come up very early on in life Um, sometimes they're avoidable lots of times they're not Um, the other thing is that young animals um, they get into lots of problems they're stupid and they don't know their manners and they sometimes don't have good um, social skills and so um, we tend to sort of find that actually we have a, a real um, a, a push of, of visits from young dogs. You know, young dogs and cats get into trouble more than um, middle-aged ones do. And then as they start to get older, we start to see them again more frequently. So I would cover them from the time yeah. you first get them. And it's easy to say as well, oh, I've been so lucky. You know, my dog's been so healthy, touch wood. But in those later years, mm-hmm. you could be looking at thousands if mm. they're, you know, if they're For unwell. Sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And not even in the later years. I mean, he, um, the gentleman on the phone, he's, he's talking about his dog's hip um, hip problems, stifle injuries are one of the most common surgeries that we um, see and do. Um, and if you've got a medium to large breed dog, that's that requires an advanced surgical repair. Um, that's going to run you in a couple thousand dollars, even in yeah, a young sure. dog. So, um, you know, I think definitely worthwhile thinking about uh, in this day and age when we have the capability of doing advanced surgery that makes these dogs feel better, it makes their lives much better. Um, in the olden days, we didn't have some of those advanced techniques and those dogs just suffered. And if you have a dog who's two years old and they blow out a cruciate ligament, um, we can we can help those dogs be comfortable for the next 10 years, whereas in the past, you know, they would go on to develop severe arthritis early in life, and then we'd probably euthanize them early because they were too sore by the time they were six, seven, eight years of age. So I think it's worthwhile thinking about so we have the best options to give your pet the best care. Yeah, some good advice. Mm-hmm. Now, Cheryl, uh, speaking mm. of our loved ones and companion animals, mm. you're going to talk about uh, one of the most popular animals to have as a companion now i've guessed dog uh, i guess that would be number one number one uh 
You said it's the third most popular. Yeah. Well, so cat's number two. Cat's number two. Mm-hmm. Because you've come in with a bird necklace today and a bird brooch, <laughs> and normally it is a poodle, I'm going to say birds, and my nan loves her bird. It's cockatiel. Okay, mm. so the, the world's most popular companion bird is actually the budgerigar. Ah, mm. how about that? The little green—they're pretty and cute. Gold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, that little budgerigar has come so far from being that you know native bird that was green, a little bit of yellow on the face, and a bit of barring. But they've really, really changed over the years, and they've been around for a long time. I mean, you know, back in the day when they were taken by um, John Gould over to England and then over to America, they have changed from that budgie that we know about to now available in every single colour that you can mm. think of. Mm. There's everything from, you know, sky blues right through to, you know, pieds and all sorts of colours, of really vivid colours as well. Then that's been done through, through people, um, selective breeding and intensive breeding as well. And, look, they make wonderful first pets. So if you're thinking about getting a, a pet for a child or a, a pet for, a, say, um, a person that spends a lot of time at home, particularly during the day. Little budgies are lots of fun and this is the time of the year to be thinking about getting one because the young birds will be available now. We're in springtime and getting a young budgerigar will really help um, in the training because as they get older, they're not quite as easy to train. So you want to get a young bird that you can start handling. And obviously with handling, you need to do it gently. So taking the bird out of the cage and make sure when you take the bird out of the cage that you have all of the windows and doors closed <laughs> yeah. because they can escape. They're very, very fast flyers. Um, Kimberly, with the flying, some people mm-hmm. clip wings. Do you believe in that? Um that's a complicated question. Uh, listen, so we do clip wings um, selectively, okay? Yes. Um, baby birds should never have their wings clipped. Um, if birds don't develop normal flight patterns when they're young, they don't ever learn to do it. Um, and we know that flight is a required behavior for birds to develop normally in terms of their mental and psychological development. So if somebody in a pet shop takes a baby bird who hasn't ever properly learned to fly and they trim their wings, that bird is likely to be um, psychologically damaged for the rest of its life. Now, it may not be dramatic. You may not notice it if it's just a bird sitting in a cage, but certainly... Um, the propensity towards um, feather plucking and other neurological mm. behaviours is much increased. So we do um, trim birds' wings. We do it selectively on the um, based on the individual bird and what the owner's requirements are. And I will only do a bird that I can you know see has developed good flight control. So they need to be able to fly. They need to be able to land. Um, it is it is challenging when you've got a new bird, um, and so we need to be you know careful about handling them. I usually tell people handle them in a bathroom with the toilet lid down, um, or in a small enclosed space, so that they you know that you're not having to chase them all around the house yeah. while you're doing your training. Yeah. Um, if we are trimming them, they should always have a two-sided wing trim. It should be mild, just enough that we can't the bird can't get significant lift, but enough that it's able to glide to the ground. And what we see is lots of people, lots of pet shops will just trim one wing. And that causes the bird then, when it does try to fly, it will spiral and crash. And I see broken beaks, I see broken keel bones, I see broken pelvic bones, um, lacerations of the of the ventral skin from birds who have had bad wing trims. So um, if you're going to have a bird and it's trimmed, it should be a very mild trim early on and it should be both sides equally. Yeah, and really going to the vet to have that done as well. Ideally. Yes, mm. ideally. So once you have it trimmed once, you don't need to again? No, they no, grow they back. back. They yeah, grow they do. Back. Okay. But the Sorry, damage, the damage like will be done. Once. So 
the damage uh. will be done. So if you've got a baby bird and you trim its wings as a six-week or eight-week-old bird, um, those wings will be trimmed potentially for the next six months, and you've lost the window of opportunity for learning because once that bird has a crash and hurts himself once or twice on his keelbone or on his pelvic bone, um, he's going he's gonna to stop trying, he's mm. going to lose, lose the confidence to trying, and that's when we see the psychological defects. Mm. Yeah. Now, budgies are great pets for people that want to have something that they can touch, just like your cat and your dog. Mm. Now, budgies, you can have them sitting on your shoulder, they'll climb on your head and chew your <laughs> hair, but you can teach budgies to talk. Now, mm. a lot of people think it's only the males, but both can speak. It's all about, they're mimicking, they're not actually knowing what they're saying, they're just mimicking. I actually have a girl who works for me who's, um, whose budgie mimics her refresh button on the iPhone. <laughs> so they will pick up things that they're hearing all of the time. So if you do want your bird to speak, you need to spend lots of time with it. And, you know, just repetition, saying the same thing until you get the bird to actually say what it is that you're wanting. After that, you, you know... It, the world's your oyster there. You can say lots of things, but please keep it clean. You don't want your nose yeah. to hear the, the bird saying things that shouldn't Potty be. Potty mouth. Yes. Um, but the more time you spend, the more energy you put into your bird, obviously the, the more rewarded you'll be, and they do mimic so well. Um, males tend to be friendlier than females. Females tend to bite a lot harder than the male birds. So, oh. Yeah, so that's one thing. If you are buying the bird for a child, it would be better to take a cock bird rather than the hen because you don't want the child being scared. And again, if the bird bites, it's the child could drop the bird. And like Kimberly <laughs> said, those accidents happen and we don't want that. But look, they're wonderful. They enjoy toys. So, you know, the antics will keep you laughing. You know, you give them some little, little toys, something to spin around and they will just keep you entertained. Um, they do like ladders, even little balls, things that just give them an, an opportunity to exercise and to uh, stimuli as well. Budgies are pretty vain. You can give them a mirror and they'll sit there and look at themselves and chatter <laughs> on. So, you know, they're a bird, they're a bird that really does enjoy uh, looking at themselves. themselves. <laughs> they enjoy bathing as well. So, you know, making sure that if you are going to let your bird bath, that it's a nice sunny day so that it's not going to be sitting there cold. Do it in the morning so that the bird can hop in and you can enjoy watching it splash around. They usually live, depending again um, on how you are caring for them, they can live from five to ten years. So it's a fair lifespan um, in expensive um, pet to own. Yeah. Uh, but also you need to make sure that your husbandry is good. So making sure that you're keeping your cage really clean and that you are providing the bird with lots of um, nutritional things as well. So not just bird seed. It's not just about buying the packet mm. seed. So things like, um, you know, raw spinach and... Um, and some chickweed, those sort of things okay. that you can mm -hmm. collect, as well as even carrots. Some like apple. You know, you'll get some birds that won't go near it, but, you know, giving them a variety of diet can really help. I think it's a really good option uh, for people such as my nan in her situation where a dog or a cat would be too much, yes. uh, but she still wants that company. So it's sort of a good alternative where she's not having to take something out at night and she's not worried about tripping over something, but she's got that company there and, yeah. and something there if she's, you know, watching mm -hmm. the TV to be there with her. And even if somebody goes on holidays, a bird is easy to ask someone to care for. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. people go, oh, no, I can't have a dog because my dog won't get on with that dog. And so a bird is really easy. But, you know, from the youngest to the oldest, they're a great pet and um, they really are. Yeah, just lots of fun. Hello, Peter from Cessnock. You've obviously been hearing us talk about our birds and you've got a question of your own. <clears throat> yes. Um, how are you going? We're good, thanks. Uh, I've got a, a red-tailed black cockatoo female. Yes. And um, I've had her for probably for 15 years thereabouts. And her comb, her feathers aren't developing properly, forming on her comb. Mm -hmm. The rest of her body seems to be okay, if, you know, feather-wise. But, okay. um, but just to be concerned about... 
Yeah. yeah, and how long has that been going on for, do you think? Just well, since the long. recent mould? Mm. Yes, okay. yes. Yeah. Um, what kind of, is she Is she an inside bird, outside bird? Where is she no, kept? She's, she's in an aviary outside. Outside, yeah. And what about access to um, wild birds? Is she in a covered over aviary or is there any access to wild birds outside? No, half and half. Yeah, half it's half, half covered, yeah. half open, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, listen, I mean, there's, there's, there's a number of potential reasons that could be happening, but I guess if it's just starting on the comb, um, which is an area that they're not usually um, grooming themselves on, we do get concerned about things like circovirus, beak and feather disease, access things like that so maybe worthwhile look at um you know having having somebody have a look at her and getting her tested for that we know that cockatoo species in general um are moderately susceptible to beak and feather disease um and that uh goes for black you know black cockatoos as well as um as sulfur crested cockatoos um and i guess what we what we do sometimes see is a bird as they get older this isn't a young bird obviously but um as they get older if they've had an exposure and their immune system's not um not super good sometimes then then we can see a, a bird who starts to develop beak and feather disease signs later in life rather than as a young bird um so that would be a primary concern but there are certainly other reasons nutritional um nutritional issues and things like that um are a possibility so um, what what you would potentially expect to see is that as she's molting, and it's a big molting time, my, my house is full of feathers this week, um, yeah. is that, you know, if she's got something like circovirus, which is, which is beak and feather disease, that as she molts, you will progressively see more feathers not developing normally. Um, and so that, that would be a concern, I guess, for her. Mm. Yeah, right. I'm not yeah. concerned at the moment because the, the feather looks good on yeah. the rest of the body. It's just, just a few yeah. pin feathers. They look like pin feathers on a comb. On a comb, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, does she have... Are you able to groom them like for her? Does she is she a handleable bird, and you can sort of try to break the pins, like the quills, down a little bit and see if you've got normal feather underneath there? Yeah, I, I can I can look at her now. Yeah, she's not too bad, but mm. uh, she's a bit concerned. I thought it might have been beak and feather. Yeah, it's certainly in in our area, it's certainly a possibility. So, um, you know, potentially look at getting her checked out. There are some blood tests and things that can be run um, to give you an answer for that. So, oh, that's great. Okay, then okay. yeah, I'll do that. No yep. worries, Peter. Thanks for your call today. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. We're talking pet chat and taking your calls. Another free line right now, 49216216. Now, Kimberly, uh, we're looking at something that you're seeing a lot of at the moment. Mm, Springtime, yeah. Springtime and and worms. Worms. So I think worms is one of those things that... um, it never goes away. I mean, we always have access, or our pets always have access to things that can give them worms. But I think sometimes it's a bit underestimated at how much problem worms can cost, uh, can cause, sorry, in our um, in our pets. So um, we want to remember that any of our dog and cat. Um, pets should always be regularly wormed. In puppies and kittens, we're going to be doing it really frequently, every fortnight up until they're three months of age and then monthly till they're six months of age. Once they're, quote-unquote, adults or, uh, you know, from six months of age, they're not technically adults, but we worm them on an adult schedule, and that should be every three months as a minimum, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, for dogs, there's five main worms that we're, we're wanting to cover. So roundworm, whipworm, hookworm, tapeworm are our main intestinal worms and we also have to remember heartworm and people are um, a bit slack about heartworm these days because heartworm is a disease that we don't yeah. see very often anymore um, but and they're re- two different tablets aren't they for the intestinal worms and then the heartworm not always but quite often okay. yeah so lots of times you can go into any um, grocery store pet shop things like that and buy an intestinal worming tablet that will 
probably be pretty good quality and cover most of those other intestinal worms. The vast majority of them, though, will not cover heartworm. Sure. And heartworm is a disease that is carried by mosquitoes. We do not see the disease until the dog has heart or cat, but has, it's typically more common in heart, uh, in dog, sorry, till they have, um, adult heart worms in their heart and they're causing heart failure okay it's a disease that's really really hard to identify if we're not looking um for it and if they're not on prevention and not every dog will survive their treatment if they have heartworm disease right. okay by the time you have adult worms in the heart we're not going in doing open heart surgery and pulling those worms out of there we have to kill the worms we have to let the dog's body metabolize them break them down and hope that they don't cause clots somewhere else throughout mm. the body how okay? many identifiable cases would you see a year Kimberly with heartworm? We don't see them very often, okay? okay? But it's a disease that um, 35 years ago, vets would see it all the time. Now, I have never actually seen a case. So everybody's going, well, why am I worrying about it? You've been a vet for 12 years. You've never seen a case of heartworm disease. Yeah. It might be 13 years now. Um, it's a disease that's on the rise. So there's just a recent report being released in Australia, and they said that um, there's been 1,800 cases. Um, certainly the majority of those cases are in Queensland um, and the Northern Territory, but there were cases all throughout the eastern seaboard of Australia, including in Tasmania and Victoria, where they've really never been seen before. And those okay. are dogs that have not travelled, okay? Um, and we know that in the Hunter region, um, there have been over over two dozen cases within the last two to three years. Okay. The difficulty with that is that we often don't identify this disease till late in the process. It's transmitted by mosquitoes. So if you have an infected dog and he gets bitten by mosquitoes, he might get bitten by half a dozen mosquitoes. Those half a dozen mosquitoes then go and bite the neighbor's dog or, you know, guy down the road, his dog. And that's how we transmit our disease. So it's quite likely there's populations of dogs who are still out there who we haven't identified the disease in yet and it is being transmitted. Um, but it's still the more rare one. So we want to make sure that we're covering every dog for heartworm disease. But intestinal worms is what I've been seeing lately. So puppies, lots of puppies who are coming in with diarrhea um, and people are thinking like, what's going on? And um, and they've not been wormed um, frequently enough or maybe they've not been wormed to the right dosage. So remember, puppies are growing. And if you take a worm tablet that's good up to five kilos and your puppy is six kilos now... It's not you're not going to get partially you know that kills the worms. You're not sure. going to kill any of them. You're not going to oh, get right. higher higher therapeutic enough drug levels in the bloodstream to kill any of them. So it's always important to make sure that you're overestimating your dog's weight if you're worming them. If you're unsure, pop them into a vet hospital and put them on the scale. Any vet hospital will happily weigh your dog for you and give you an appropriate worming tablet. So Kimberly, some people may think, oh, intestinal worms. Yes, mm -hmm. they're not ideal, but. That's mm -hmm. okay. They're not going to cause too much harm. That's not the case, though, is it's it? It's actually not. So um, particularly in young and small animals, we can see anemia severe enough to cause death from a heavy worm burden. We can certainly see malnutrition and lack of growth. Um, but it's really important to remember that hookworms and roundworms and then some tapeworms can cause problems in humans as well. So if you have a family and you have toddlers crawling around on the floor and the dog has been walking around on the floor or scooting his bum on the carpet or something like that and your toddler's walking around and that toddler may pick up or your child may pick up a worm egg and we can get conditions like visceral larval migraines and ocular larval migraines where the worms are actually in their body underneath the skin in behind the eye causing uveitis and blindness so oh. although we don't see that in in you know in the western world you know it, most people aren't going to see that it still happens and it doesn't happen that uncommonly um, the other things we can see worms causing you know diarrhea and things in, in humans sometimes occasionally yeah um, worms are also really 
really important to think about in some of our other pets. So um, chickens, if you have backyard chickens, worming them, you know, routinely is really important, um, particularly if you have a relatively small yard and you have a few chickens. You know, sometimes that's only two or three, but they might be in a relatively narrow area uh, and, and so they can pick up chickens. And we have um, certainly seen this week some chickens that have had um, ill thrift, starvation. They, they look like they're starving and they've got plenty of food, but they've got malnutrition because their gut is so okay. full of worms oh, and the wow. gut lining. And remember that the worms are actually hanging on to the inside lining of your intestinal tract. And so Christ. A, they're causing damage. B, they're sucking blood and, and taking the nutrients. Um, but the damage that they cause means that your gut's not then able to, to in, um, absorb the nutrients from the food that you're taking in. So it's a multifactorial problem. Um, cats, lots of people have trouble pilling cats. There are top spot products that are pretty good for cats for worming. Okay. Um, so if you can't pill a cat... Most vet hospitals would be happy to have a nurse tablet your cat for you too. Um, a lot of the top spots won't cover tapeworms. And so if you have a cat who's an inside-outside cat and they are hunting birds and mice, hopefully they're not, maybe not birds, maybe mice, um, but if they're hunting, then um, they really need to be given a tablet that will cover them for tapeworm as well, okay? Um, and so if you can't do that, then shift them down to your vet hospital and there's a vet nurse there who will be glad to get your tablets into your cat. So, Kimberly, we know that worms can be transmitted from mm -hmm. our animals to humans. Yeah. Uh, can humans transmit to animals? Worms? Um, worms, not so much. Okay. Um, there are Just other thinking organisms. thinking about kids' well-being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids. What are you feeding your kids? Well, the kids are feral. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, listen, not not so much. There are other things that we can, you know, we can pass back and forth between our um, ourselves and our pets, but worms, not so much. Okay. Um, not in the same sort of way. So, yeah, we don't have to worry about it. But it's not uncommon for, um, you know, we'll see families. I had not too long ago a family where the, um, the son had been um, diagnosed with um, cryptosporidium, which is a, a you know, an intestinal sort of protozoan type parasite and we were checking the dogs and the cats for that as well um, coccidia can go between species so okay. you can also get coccidia so um, if you've got um, usually it's fairly species specific but there are certain circumstances where you can pass some things between you know dogs and cats um, and remembering that tapeworm so not the hydatid tapeworm that we see on farms from you know farm dogs eating um, sheep so that's that's really important that um, dogs who are eating offal or eating raw meat that are getting wormed really really regularly because that hydatid added tapeworms this can be transmitted to people quite easily um, but regular old tapeworms um, they are transmitted largely by fleas so if you are if you are keeping your pets flea free then the risk of that is much lower particularly if they're inside cats not hunting our one native wildlife yeah sure um, yeah so but it's something you want to get into the practice of doing every three months absolutely routine all the time no yeah, one routine wants all worms the time. around no, but, and it's so preventable it's so simple um, it's really heartbreaking when we see you know animals who, who have very simple treat disease but they're already in a very emaciated state and they're, yeah. they're in pretty poor condition so easy it's not expensive um, but just make sure you're covering the spectrum and so you know making sure we're covering all of our intestinal worms and the, the tablets that you buy sometimes um, over the counter in various places they might say intestinal all wormer but again those ones will not cover heartworm so you need okay. to be making sure we're Keep getting that in mind. heartworm prevention and remembering that lots of our top spots for cats um, will cover heartworm for cats as well heartworm's a little bit trickier in cats but the top spots typically will cover that as well 
well. So if your pets aren't up to date, then mm. uh, you should probably pop out and grab some of that treatment now. And you've probably mm. reminded me it's time to worm the kids. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how often you're meant to worm kids. <laughs> we have, we have lots that. of families who will do, you know, on the, the first day of every third month, <laughs> they do the whole family. They do the dog, they do the worming. cat, they do the chicken, and they do the family. So hey, it's not a yeah, bad idea. Not yeah. a bad idea. Now, I need to talk about our pet of the week because we have three uh, this time round. <laughs> a plethora. A plethora, yeah. Look, there's lots of dogs that always need rehoming. So if you're in a situation uh, where you're interested in getting a dog, it's a big commitment, uh, but you need to come have a look on our 2NURFM website, 2NURFM.com, uh, and click on Pet Chat and then our Dog of the Week. Can I just highlight... My favourite this week, Ellie and Max. Now, you can double the love if you were to adopt Ellie and Max. Max is an eight-year-old um, male Maltese. He's quite stocky, isn't he, ladies? Mm-hmm. He's, he is. he's the big one, obviously. And Ellie, oh, my goodness, Ellie is a 12-year-old female Maltese cross uh, Shih Tzu. Now, I can see that Ellie has obviously eye trouble she's going blind you can mm. see a little bit of blue forming yeah, it so might just be the old normal old dog lenses. yeah they're older mm. dogs so obviously you know that they would need a little mm. bit of attention uh but it's just awful it's a very sad situation their their mum has become sick and she can no longer care for them so if you're in a situation these two are best friends and i've actually clicked on and seen more photos of them playing mm-hmm. together and they're absolutely gorgeous so ellie is a sweet little girl uh who doesn't like big dogs uh she's uh, sorry so she would profess prefer smaller dogs uh, and Max is a shy little guy but once you get to know him he just wants to be with you he's obviously extremely loyal and he gets up on his back legs when you come home and does a bit of a dance I've seen a video <laughs> of that so look go check them out they've stolen my heart I, you know was half thinking about getting on the phone to Sean earlier today and <laughs> pleading my case uh, and look we've also got Harley uh, he's the best tail wagger beautiful looking dog he's a two year old staffy cross uh, she I should say very loving and and happy and uh, hence the tail wagging. So go check her out. Uh, she loves to paddle through the pool uh, and she's also quite happy just to lay quietly on her bed. So check her out. And um, we've got Hilda as well, a gorgeous looking girl, Hilda, two and a half year old Mastiff who's looking for a forever home. And we've also got uh, Josie. Now she's an affectionate and sweet 20 month year old, uh, 20 month old red cattle cross terrier who's looking for her forever home. And look, her owners have said that she's quite happy to chill out. She's not overly active, mm. even though she's got the cattle dog in her. So look, go have a look at them. We highly recommend it if you're in the market for a dog. We're talking pet chat, 49216216. We better go to a call here. Uh, now, Steve from Curry, we're a little concerned. You've got a comment about the old fella and his dog. Yeah, um, <clears throat> he's having trouble paying for his uh, vet bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Morford and Clarencetown, let you pay it off. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, there you... We had a dog done ourselves, and then the Morford one sort of paid off. We had to pay a bit of money, a little bit of money, $50 or something up front. That's it. Oh, good one, Steve. So, Chris from Bolton Point, if you're listening, uh, you were inquiring about the cost of animal surgery, and Steve, you've said that there is a place in Morpeth where he can go. Or Town. Beautiful. Well, look, we really appreciate the feedback. Thank you very much. We're going to go to Gary now in Mark's Point. You've got a question about your rainbow lorikeet. Yes, I have. He's a male. He's 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he's losing 
that orange coating on his beak okay. um, from his from his sear about halfway down the right. length of his beak. Is it is it turning black or what's happening with or is it just flaking away? No. No, it's 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 just disappearing and you can actually see I don't know what what the inside of the beak is made of. Okay. Well, it's got some fleshy stuff and some blood vessels and some nerves and things like that. So that sounds a bit unusual, Gary. Um, I, I'd say that bird probably needs to have a have somebody have a look at it so we can sort of work out what's going on. That's certainly not normal. Hasn't had any trauma. He hasn't had anybody else bite it or anything like that. No, it doesn't seem to worry him at all. It, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's not right. It doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes if they've had some trauma, if they've had a bite wound, then as the beak is growing out, you can get a section that sloughs away. But um, there are other possibilities. And if he's a 15-year-old bird, he's not a particularly young bird. Um, and so they can get some tumors of the of the beak and, and cancers as well as infections. So it's probably worthwhile him, um, if you can, get him into a vet to have a look at him. All right, okay. then I'll do that. No yeah, worries. Thanks for your help. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. And uh, look, we've just had someone phone in as well to give some feedback. They've just adopted a dog, a Lakeland Terrier, and apparently he is the best dog ever. It's so nice when you partner it mm. up with your right animal, isn't mm, it? And you're yeah. just happy. They're so that's fun little dogs too, the Lakeys. Mm. You love all dogs, Cheryl. I do. I do. I can't <laughs> help it. You love all animals. Yes. So, you know, I'm surprised you don't have more than what you do, to be honest. Uh, the husband won't have yeah, You want to keep your marriage. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. Although, no. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's just about all we've got time for for Pet Chat. Cheryl Shaw, thank you for coming My in. My pleasure. Dr. Kimberly Earl, thank you for thank all of you. your advice. Always amazing to hear. <laughs> and thank you for your calls. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.